Lesson 3 for April 14-20, to 20, Jesus and the Book of Revelation. Sabbath afternoon, April 14. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that in your word we find Jesus. And this week, as we go into the book of Revelation, we pray that we may see him there just so clearly, that we may see our Saviour and what he offers for us. But also, let us see your will for us in our personal lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Let's read that again, Revelation 3.21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Even the quickest reading of the New Testament reveals an important truth. The New Testament is tied directly to the Old. Time and time again, the Gospels and the Epistles refer either to events in the Old Testament or, quote, directly or indirectly from it. In addition, when referring to himself and his ministry, how often did Jesus talk about how the Scriptures need to be fulfilled? Well, we'll read about that in Matthew twenty-six fifty-four. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must happen thus? And in verse 56, But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him, and fled. And Mark fourteen twenty-nine, I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scripture must be fulfilled. And John 13, verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And John 17, verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The same thing can be said for the book of Revelation. Indeed, it's all but impossible to make sense of the book of Revelation apart from the Old Testament, especially the book of Daniel. This is one reason why we often study both books together. A crucial aspect of those Old Testament references in Revelation is that, taken together with the rest of the book, they reveal Jesus. Revelation is all about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done for his people, and about what he will do for us at the end of time. Any focus on last day events must keep Jesus front and centre out of necessity, which is exactly what the book of Revelation does. This week's lesson looks at Jesus in the book of Revelation. Sunday, April 15. The Structure of Revelation. 
Among the many things that Daniel and Revelation have in common are their two basic divisions, historical and eschatological, that's dealing with end-time events. Both these concepts are linked intricately in each book. We may view the historical events as precursors or examples, even if on a smaller scale, of grand and global events in the last days. That is, by studying what happened in Old Testament history, we can have insights for what will happen in our days and beyond. This principle, however, is not limited only to Daniel and Revelation. Question. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through to 11. In these verses, how do we see the principle talked about above? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not last after evil things, as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day twenty-three thousand fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. As we found last week, some of the stories in Daniel chapter 3 and chapter 6 were localised historical incidents that reflect somewhat the end-time events depicted in Revelation. By studying these stories, we can get glimpses and insights into some of the things that God people will face, on a broader scale, in the end. Perhaps, though, the most important point is that, regardless of our immediate situation here, we are assured of ultimate deliverance. Whatever else Revelation teaches, it assures the faithful of victory. Though there are some exceptions, the historical portion of Revelation is chapters 1 right through to 11, followed by the end-time chapters of 13 through to 22. Question. Read Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through to 17. Where should we categorize this chapter? Historical or eschatological? And why? Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there one thousand two hundred and sixty days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time." Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But The earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. As we can see, this chapter belongs to both categories. Why? because it talks about historical conflicts, the expulsion of Satan from heaven in verses 7 to 9, Satan's attack on baby Jesus in Revelations 12.4, and the persecution of the church in subsequent church history in verses 14 to 16, followed by a depiction of the devil's attack on the end-time remnant in verse 17. So to finish the day, it has been said that one of the lessons we learn from history is that we never learn from history. In other words, regardless of when they live, people keep making the same mistakes. With so much history behind us to learn from, how can we avoid doing just that? Monday, April 16, Images of Jesus Read the following text, it says, Each contains various names and or descriptions of Jesus, as well as what he has done, is doing, or will do. What do the texts teach us about Jesus? First of all, Revelation 1 and verse 5. 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And Revelation 1 verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Revelation 5 verse 8, Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Revelation 19, verses 11 to 15. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And Revelation 21 verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. These are only a few of the many texts in Revelation that depict Jesus in various roles and functions. He is the Lamb, which points us to his first coming, in which he offered himself as a sacrifice for sins, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5.7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. He was also the one who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, Revelation 1.18, a clear reference to his death and resurrection from the dead. And in Luke 24, verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Finally, in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 15, he is depicted in his role at the second coming, when he will return to the earth in power and glory and judgment. And Matthew chapter 16, verse 27 reads, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So to finish today, How can we learn to make the life, death, resurrection and the return of Jesus the central focus of our own existence and the foundation for the moral choices we make? Tuesday, April 17, The Sanctuary Motif in Revelation. 
Besides being historical and eschatological, Revelation also has another structural layer, one built around the Hebrew sanctuary. This sanctuary motif is not confined to either of the two major divisions, but goes through them both. In the earthly sanctuary, one begins in the courtyard at the altar of the burnt offering, where the animals were slain. After the death of the animal, symbolic of the cross, the priest would enter into the first apartment of the sanctuary, which was a model of what Jesus did in the heavenly sanctuary after his ascension. This is represented by Jesus walking among the lampstands, as we read in Revelation 1.13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. Question. Read Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. What does the open door represent? Where is this scene located? And then we're going to look at several other texts in relation to this. Revelation 4, verses 1 and 2. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And we're also going to look at Acts 2.33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And Acts 5.31. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be Prince and Saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And Ephesians 1 verse 20, which he worked in heaven when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And Hebrews 10 verses 12 and 13, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Soon after his ascension, Christ was inaugurated in the holy place of the heavenly temple, through this first open door. When Christ first appears in the book of Revelation, he is standing before the lampstands of the first apartment in the heavenly sanctuary, as we see in Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through to 18. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. 
Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Question. Read Revelation, chapter 11, verse 19. What is the significance of the fact that as the heavenly temple was opened, John could see the Ark of his Covenant, which sat in the second apartment of the earthly sanctuary. And we'd also compare that with Leviticus 16, verses 12 and 14. But first of all, Revelation 11, verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. And let's compare that with Leviticus 16, verses 12 to 14. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. The image of the Ark of the Covenant in the heavenly sanctuary is an indisputable reference to the most holy place or second apartment. In the book of Revelation we can see not just Jesus' two apartment ministry but the crucial and comforting fact that events in heaven and earth are linked. Even amid the trials of history and the last days, as depicted in the book of Revelation, we can have the assurance that, as Ellen White writes in My Life Today, page 307, all heaven is engaged in the work of preparing a people to stand in the day of the Lord's preparation. The connection of heaven with earth seems very close. Wednesday, April 18, Christ in Revelation, Part 1 Everything in Revelation, from the structure to the content, has one purpose, to reveal Jesus Christ. That's why the opening words of the book are the revelation of Jesus Christ, or in the original language, Apocalypsis Aeusu Christu. 
This generally is understood as 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, or 2. The revelation about Jesus Christ, as it says in verse 2. The fact that it is a revelation argues against those who believe revelation is too hard to understand. Why would the Lord have included the book in the Bible if he hadn't meant for it to be understood by those who read it? Question. Read Revelation chapter 1 verses 1 through to 8. What do these verses teach us about Jesus? Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. In Revelation, Christ is introduced as the ruler of the kings of the earth in verse 5. And near the end of the book, he is described in Revelation 19 verse 16 as king of kings. The great news here is that amid all the chaos and confusion on earth, we can have the assurance that our loving Lord and Saviour has ultimate control. In Revelation 1.5, we have been given a clear reference to Christ as the Redeemer, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The text points to his atoning death on the cross. He has not only justified us, but sanctified us as well, as we read in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It is in texts such as this one that we can find assurance of salvation because they show us that Jesus is the one who washes away our sins. We certainly can't do it ourselves. Question, read Revelation 1 verse 7. What does this teach us about Jesus? Revelation 1 and verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Central to the whole Christian faith is the promise of Christ's return with the clouds. 
Jesus will come again, a literal return in an event that the whole world will witness, an event that once and for all ends the suffering, chaos and ruin of this world and ushers in all the promises of eternity. So, to finish today, what does Revelation 1.8 teach us about Jesus? What hope can we find in this verse that can give us comfort amid whatever trials we are facing? Revelation 1 verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Thursday, April 19, Christ in Revelation, Part 2 Question, read Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through to 18. What does Jesus say about himself here? Revelation 1, beginning at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead." But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. When Jesus appears in these verses, he is standing in the first apartment of the heavenly sanctuary. The revelation of him in this role is so great that John fell at his feet in fear. Jesus, ever comforting, tells him not to be afraid and points to himself as the Alpha and Omega, the First and the Last, references to his eternal existence as God. Later he talks about his death and resurrection and the hope that his resurrection brings. Jesus also has the keys of Hades and death. In other words, Jesus here is saying to John what he said to Martha at the death of her brother, words that John also recorded in John eleven twenty-five and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? With Martha, and now with John, Jesus points us to the hope of the resurrection, the culmination and climax of the Christian faith. Without this particular hope, 
What hope is there? Question. Read Revelation chapter 22, verses 7, 12 and 13. What do these verses reveal about Jesus? Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every one according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. From the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1092 and 93, Ellen White writes, Christ Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the Genesis of the Old Testament and the Revelation of the New. Both meet together in Christ. Adam and God are reconciled by the obedience of the second Adam, who accomplished the work of overcoming the temptations of Satan and redeeming Adam's disgraceful failure and fall. End of quote. Yes, Jesus is the beginning and the end. He created us in the beginning, and he will recreate us in the end. From start to finish, as it teaches us about not only history but about end-time events, the book of Revelation is still the Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, whatever else we may study about final events, Jesus Christ must be the centre of it all. So to finish today... How can we keep Jesus at the centre of our lives each and every day? Friday, April 20. From the Acts of the Apostles, page 584, written by Ellen White, we read, In the Revelation are portrayed the deep things of God. The very name given to its inspired pages, The Revelation, contradicts the statement that this is a sealed book. A revelation is something revealed. The Lord himself revealed to his servant the mysteries contained in this book, and he designs that they shall be open to the study of all. Its truths are addressed to those living in the last days of this earth's history, as well as to those living in the days of John. Some of the scenes depicted in this prophecy are in the past, some are now taking place, some bring to view the close of the great conflict between the powers of darkness and the Prince of Heaven, and some reveal the triumphs and joys of the redeemed in the earth made new. End of quote. The text we looked at this week, in both the beginning and the end of the book, show just how much of Revelation is about Jesus. Even with all the Old Testament references to historical events, the book of Revelation teaches us more about our Jesus, our Lord Jesus. So, see Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to 
open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne are on the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And Revelation 7.14, And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When we put these texts together, we can get a powerful representation of Jesus and what he should mean to us as those who claim to be his followers. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, what does it mean for us that all through the New Testament, constant reference is made to the Old Testament? What should it tell us about how central Scripture should be to our faith and how seriously we must take the Word of God? How can we protect ourselves against any and all attempts to lessen the authority of the Scriptures in our personal lives and in the life of the Church? Two, Skim through the book of Revelation and collect as many other texts as you can that talk specifically about Jesus. In class, read the texts aloud. What else do they reveal to you about the nature, work, power and character of our Lord? What comfort do you derive from what these texts reveal? And three, in a world of death, how can we learn to find hope and comfort in the promise of the resurrection of the dead? Inside Story our mission story this week is titled A Small Woman, and it's by Vanessa Rocker, who is a Bible worker and musician in California. Seventh-day Adventist leaders assigned me to lead evangelistic meetings at an Adventist university during a 2016 outreach effort that resulted in an unprecedented 110,000 baptisms in Rwanda. The pastor approached me after 173 young people were baptized at the end of my meetings. Now that we are friends, I can tell you this, he said. When I was told I was going to have an American preacher come to my site, I was very excited. I was expecting a big, strong, tall, white man. But when they presented you, 
a smaller woman as our speaker, I was very disappointed. So I didn't expect much. But my dear sister preacher, I'm so sorry for my little faith. You have done a work that none of us has been able to do at this school. Truthfully, I don't have much to offer. But when you have a willing heart, God will do extraordinary things. What made the mission to Rwanda so successful? The answer is simple. Total member involvement. Having every church member do his or her part in sharing Jesus. In Rwanda, I saw that local church members made it their personal duty to reach out to their communities. They put aside the idea that evangelism is the pastor's job alone. Church members had no special training. They simply used their God-given talents to reach those Christ came to save. They realized that Jesus is coming soon and that we as Seventh-day Adventists have a higher calling. They said, Here am I, Lord, send me. I met many Rwandans, young and old, who said, Vanessa, I have been in the church for so many years and never have I seen the church do something like this. But now I realize I don't have to wait on the church. It simply starts with one person. It starts with me. Young people came to me and said, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a singer, but I have many friends and a lot of influence. My life will be the sermon. Because of everything I've learned during this evangelistic series, I will start giving Bible studies. The sincerity of these church members changed Rwanda in much the same way that Jesus and his twelve disciples changed the world in three years. How much more could we do if we took hold of this mission of total member involvement in our local churches? How much sooner would we see Jesus come? And this Sabbath I expect to be in the English-speaking church in Vienna in Austria. If you're listening to me there, make sure you say hi when my wife and I turn up. Look for the old guy who speaks English just like this. Your reader for this week's Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been Dr. Percy Harold. It has been produced in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind, distributed under the auspices of the Sabbath School Department by HopeChannel.com.